All right, well, we are going to jump into um, life together. This is part three of our series, Life Together. Pastor Jimmy came a couple weeks ago from Grace Chapel back in Franklin and kind of introduced the series for us um, and just kind of gave an overview of where we're heading. And so um, kind of the basis of that was rooted in Matthew chapter 28. I'm just going to read this. You can, you can flip there and follow along if you want. I'm going to wear you out with these three verses because we're going to hit them every single Sunday that we're on this series. This is one of the last things Jesus had to say to his disciples before he ascended back to heaven. So he has come, he's lived his life in front of these men, these women for years, day in and day out. Then he's given his life on the cross for them. And so they've watched him sacrifice everything for them. And then he has risen again from the grave and has been appearing to them over a period of some 40 days. And so they have witnessed this whole life Jesus has, li has lived in front of them what he's taught, how he's treated people, the miracles that he did. They watched all this, and they watched his death, burial, and resurrection. And now Jesus is talking to them, and this is what he has to say in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus looked and came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so at the, at the simplest level, Jesus says three basic things here. He says, number one, I've got all the power. I've got all authority. The creator of the universe has all the power. And the second thing he says is, I'm with you. That God who has all power, all authority, all strength, he says, hey, listen, I know you're not going to see me here in a few minutes, but I'm with you. I'm alive. I'm not leaving you. In fact, the Holy Spirit is going to come and, and my presence will be with you. I have all power. I'm with you. And he says, hey, here's my plan. Here's how I'm going to change the whole world. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to go and share my love with the people that you encounter on this earth. And you're not going to do it on your own. You're going to do it with me there to help you and you're going to do it by my strength. But you're going to go do it, and you're going to engage in life with people, and you're going to teach them what it means to know me, to have a relationship with me, to be in God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so that is how he wants to change the world, is through you and I. We are in this room because other people took this seriously. Other people believed that God wanted to use them Messed up as they may be, imperfect as they may be, broken as they may be, God wanted to use them to love other people and show Jesus with them. And guess what? You are qualified too. It's one of the beauties of the gospel is watching these, these disciples, these followers of Jesus that had all their ups and downs and all their failures and shortcomings, and yet Jesus said, these are my guys. These are my ladies. I qualify them. In the same way, we are qualified to pass on what we've been given. And so we are all called to disciple. That's what this series is about. How do we do that in normal everyday life, in our relationships with one another as friends, as family, as coworkers, neighbors, husbands and wives, parents, children? How do we do this in, in everyday life? That's what God's called us to do. And so last week, we looked very specifically at what's the target 
And so we kind of had this little image of a triangle, and we said, listen, there's three basic things that make up a disciple of Jesus. And we, we get this from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. You know, if we go from the last thing Jesus is saying to the disciples, one of the very first things he said to them is when he called them to follow him. And he said this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Come have a relationship with me. Hang out with me. Watch how I live my life. Come do life with me. Follow me. I will make you into something. That means Jesus is going to change us. And so a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, the real living person, Jesus. It's also someone who's being changed by him. I'm not done. I'm still in process. But he's changing me. He's growing me. And thirdly, he's, he's making me something very specific, a fisher of men. In other words, he's inviting me into the same mission he had. He came to impact the lives of other people, to show people the Father, to show people who God is and invite them into a relationship with him. That's what he did, and that's what we're now called to do. And so a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's our target. And so now, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to slow down and really unpack what it actually looks like to be on that journey, to be on that process. Because it's, it's messy. It's a messy process. We're real people. And it, it doesn't necessarily just look at like this straight line from point A to point B of, cool, I'm this person that decided to follow Jesus and be changed by him and be on mission. Awesome. I took a few steps in that direction and I've arrived. It's not like that. Life is messy. It's a roller coaster. We have ups and downs. But there is a basic process of maturity that we go through. And the scripture uses a lot of terminology related to children growing into adults and that our own spiritual journey, our own relationship with Jesus is like that. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is some different aspects of our growth journey. And so we're going to talk about, first of all, just someone that's not even alive yet, not even born yet. Then we're going to talk about what a spiritual infant looks like, then a child then a young adult, and then a parent. That's, that's where we're going with this. And we're going to see some unique things about each of those phases of life. And my hope is as we reflect a little bit on those phases of life as just practical human beings that have all been one or multiple of those things in our lives. How many people in here were an infant at some point in your life? If Bentley could raise his hand back there, he would go, hey, me too. There, Thomas has it. There you go. All right, we've all been an infant. All right, and then eventually Bentley's going to be able to say yes to the rest of these. How many of us have been a child at some point in our life? A few of you are going, yeah, uh, this guy right here is still a, a child. If my wife was in here, she'd be saying that about me. All right, anybody here been a young adult yet? Emma, you're getting close. You're moving that direction. You're, you're headed there. All right, young adult. And then some of us have even moved into the parent category in life. So these are things we can, we can relate to, we've experienced. And Jesus uses these practical, tangible things that we know and we relate to to teach us ultimately about the life that we have in him. And so we're going we're gonna to look at a few of these. So first of all, someone that is not even born yet, what do they need? What does someone need that is not born yet? So think of this practically, first of all. All right, what, what needs to take place for a person to move from not alive to being alive, what process needs to happen? Say it louder. Birth. Birth, Birth needs to happen. 
All right, that's very simple, practical. Like, you're probably like, duh, this is super obvious. But Jesus didn't necessarily think that this was super obvious because a guy named Nicodemus, who we looked at about a month or so ago in here, came to him one night as a teacher of the law, as a brilliant guy who knew the scripture, and he came to Jesus and was like, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we go to the Father? How do we know God? And Jesus looked at him and he said this in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered this grown, mature, adult man, and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. On the, on the simplest level, if someone is going to start on the journey of being a disciple of Jesus, they have to go from being a person who is dead to a person who is alive. They need to experience birth. And listen, that can be just as messy as real birth is. This is a person who prior to birth is, the scripture says, in darkness. There's confusion. I mean, think of how if you could interview, if you could get inside of the mind of a newborn, what would they say when they go from this place of kind of just this confined, dark, safe place where they can't really see anything clearly, and they come bursting into our world and look around, and it's like, whoa, things are different, right? I mean, talk about a sudden change. People that are apart from Jesus are, are living life a certain way, and the scripture says whether they realize it or not, they're in darkness, they don't see clearly. But when they come to know Jesus, everything changes. It's like a whole new way of living and a whole new life. And one of the first things that might happen when somebody steps in that new life is doing what a baby does. Ah! What am I doing here? And so very quickly, this, this person that was dead, that has become alive, they need help. I mean, they need help for the most basic, simple things in life. What does an infant need? everything. They need everything. I mean, I, I, I used to just boil it down to like these simple three little things with my, my wife. Like as parents, we've had a lot of kids now. We experienced having babies over and over and over again. And listen, basically they eat, sleep, and poop. That's about it. And they need help doing all of those things. They need help getting cleaned up after they poop. They need help eating. They need help even just being put in a place where they can sleep. I mean, it it takes a lot of work on the part of the parent to provide everything that the child needs. Well, spiritually, we need to be able to recognize it's the same way. So both Peter and Paul, two like veterans of the faith, two guys who discipled people, had something to say about helping an infant in the faith to grow. And so first Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Someone who meets Jesus, who's newborn, man, they just need the basics. And they need to be fed just the purity of the basics of what, is it, what does it mean? Who is Jesus? What has he done for you? And you know, if you think about a baby, is there any variety in what they eat? Like a brand new infant, right? There's no variety. You're not working in vegetables at two weeks old, right? Like, they're eating the same thing over and over and over again. But there, there's power in that simple, basic, pure meal that, that is offered physically. Well, Jesus is saying that's the way the gospel message is. You just need over and over again to feed on the simplicity of Jesus loves me. Jesus gave his life for me. 
Jesus forgives me. He's with me. Like just some of those core basic things, and we need to feed on them regularly. And, and if we are a person who's helping someone else along, if I'm in the role as a parent in somebody's life, and they are the spiritual infant, I just need to help them be reminded of that truth consistently over and over and over again. And when they're crying and freaking out or they've made a mess of things, I don't look at an infant and go, well, uh, okay, go get a fresh diaper and go get the wipes and come on, get after it, clean yourself up. Would we do that with an infant? No. But I wonder how often we don't have patience with people that are brand new, that are just starting to follow Jesus. We should actually expect that life will be a little bit messy for them. We should expect that they wouldn't have it all together, that they would have questions, that life would get complicated and messy, and they'd be confused about how things work. And, like, it's, we're just not going to have it right away. And so, man, it requires love and patience. Paul continues this theme in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verses 7 and 8. He writes and says, and he's, he's talking to some new believers, and he's telling them, this is what we were doing with you to help you along when you first came to your faith in Jesus. And he says, but we were gentle among you. Think about that. It's so obvious with an infant, right? You're not giving an infant a lecture. You're not sitting down with them going, let me explain to you why I know you've been crying for the last 15 minutes, but nothing's actually wrong. You're okay. You're safe here. Here's your comfy bed. We've fed you. We've changed you. Nothing else is wrong. You can stop now. Is that reasoning going to work at all? No. No. And Paul's saying, this is the way we were with you. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you. Do you hear that? He's like, we love you. We're crazy about you. You're like a newborn baby. We're just so excited that you're here and that you're alive. And we're just excited to be with you. And it gives us this sense of gentleness and patience to just help you along. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Now, listen, I don't want to get weird or awkward or graphic for some of you guys, but like, it's kind of amazing that a mom feeds her child with her own body. There's just something really cool about that picture. Like, I am giving of myself to nourish you. And what Paul is saying, it's more than just giving them the basics of Scripture and like kind of throwing it at them. Here you go. I'm actually giving of my own life to pour into this infant. And so I'm not only helping them see the basics of who Jesus is, but I'm inviting them into my life. And I'm, I'm being real with them. I'm living life in front of them. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me something. See, we need to understand something. It is both a joy to opt in to be a discipler. It's a joy to watch an infant grow and to go, man, this is exciting. I got to be a part of this. Maybe I was the person that got to lead, the, lead this person to Jesus. Or maybe I came along really early in their walk with God and I get to help them along and it's exciting watching them grow and fall in love with Jesus. There's other moments where it is just exhausting to have an infant. It's tiring. And what God is telling us is the payoff is going to be worth it. The payoff is going to be worth it. The joy of having this new life in this child is worth the effort and what it takes from you. And so in the same way, if we decide, God, I'm in, I'll be a disciple maker. 
there's going to be a lot of joy and delight along the way as you watch somebody grow and understand who Jesus is and watch him begin to change their life. And there's going to be a lot of difficulty and there's going to be a lot of sacrifice and it's going to cost something from us. But this is what, this is what they need. An infant needs lots of care, lots of help, and lots of love. That's what they need. Now, it's also important to, to use, before I go into this next phase as child, I, I want to encourage you to do two things this morning as we transition into child here. Because so far up to this point, most of you in this room, you're probably seeing this through the lens of how you would help somebody else. But I want to encourage you, let the Lord use this as even like a little bit of a, a map in your own life, a little bit of a way to go, God, where might I be in my own journey? So you can be really honest with him about where you are and, and what maybe you need to continue to grow in your walk with him. And then when we get towards the end of this, we'll talk about how we use this to help others that were involved in their lives. How do we help figure out where they are and what they need? And so when we go from being an infant, eventually things start to change and we move into childhood. Now, as we're transitioning from infant to childhood, some things haven't changed a whole lot. What does a two or three-year-old still need? Pretty much everything, right? Pretty much. But there are some changes that start to take place. What are some things that begin to happen in the life of a toddler that are a little bit different than an infant? Give me, shout some, some examples out to me. What are some things that are different? They start, that's like, right? I'd love to think mom or dad is one of the first words, but no is like right there behind it, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so they start to communicate. They learn some words. All right, they start to strike out and have some independence. They might even think they're a lot more independent than they really are, but they begin to have a little bit of that independent spirit. So they're communicating. They're trying to step into some independence. What are some other just basic things that begin to change? Make more of a mess. Okay, the messes they can make are bigger. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can they begin to share in cleaning up the mess, though? Yes or no? They can. They can. <laughs> They may not do it well, right? But they can, and that's important. I'm still going to help them. I'm going to still come along, but now they can start taking a little bit of responsibility to say, hey, you're going to come help clean up this mess. Um, here's some basic, they just, they learn how to walk. So they're able to do a little bit more on their own. They learn how to walk. Well, they crawl, they walk, then they run. They start eating other things. They still need some, some real basic, healthy things. We're probably not giving donuts to a one-year-old, at least regularly, maybe, I don't know. I'll let you decide how many donuts you're going to give your own girl. Okay, but like, we're still thinking a lot about nutrition. They're not making their own good decisions about food. Let's put it that way. We got to help them filter that, right? They may begin to get picky about what they want to eat and don't want to eat, but there's some variety coming into their menu, but it's, it's still very important for them to get nutritional things. But they are changing. They're eating things that are a little bit harder. Um, they'll go from baby food to like, Eventually, they're eating carrots and apples and stuff. So, so what they eat changes, they're walking around changes, they're talking changes, but they still need a lot of help. Now, here's an important thing to recognize. Jesus loved kids, and he often pointed them and said, pay attention and do that. And so here's an example of that. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, the disciples came to Jesus, and, you know, they're starting to really feel like they're growing up, you know. Matthew chapter 18, like these guys have been walking with Jesus for a couple of years now. You know, they're probably feeling like, hey, we're moving into like that parent role right about now. 
And so they're feeling so good about themselves, they're even thinking, like, I wonder which one of us is, like, the top of the class. Who, who in this group of disciples, you know, I know Peter thinks he is, but we've watched him do a few knucklehead things. Maybe it's James or John over here, right? Like, they're comparing and thinking we're really maturing now. And so they come to Jesus in Matthew 18, verse 1, and they said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're wondering which of them is like, who's the right-hand guy? And so Jesus just, he hears that question, and he calls over a little child, and in verse 2 it says, and calling to him a child, he put the child in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. See, there's some challenging things about a child, but there's some really cool things about a child. What do, what do kids do as it relates to watching their parents or kids that are older than them? What do they do? They mimic them, right? They begin to copy what they say. That's really great when you stub your toe and let out a word you don't want to let out, and then your child is walking around repeating that word for a couple days. Oh, God, please help them to forget that quickly, right? But kids, they mimic what we do. Um, we were actually just laughing about this this morning. A couple of my daughters, five and six years old, went over and spent the night with Paisley, who's two, three and a half. Okay, wow. Awesome. Three and a half, all right? So they go spend the night with Paisley on Friday night. They hang out together. Well, sure enough, the next day, she's doing things that she's learned from them. She's sneaking stuff into their grocery cart and, like, doing these little, like, cutesy, I can't really, I can't do the cutesy version of the three and a half year old. We'll, we'll bring her in after church and let her do the look right? She's mimicking what she saw a couple kids a little bit older than her do. Well, and there's an aspect of that that's humility. I don't have it all figured out. I kind of like what I see that person doing. Let me try it. And, and you'll, you'll see kids kind of mimic their parents. And this lasts for a while. Like my son Micah now is 11. And we went to this wedding yesterday and we sit down and, you know, he's so observant. And so I'm sitting next to him and then my dad is on the other side of him. And immediately, he points at all of our pants. And we're all wearing the same colored khaki pants. And he's, like, pointing at it, and then he gives his little, like, Micah thumbs up. He's excited that we were all wearing the same thing. Like, to him, it was cool that, like, Dad and Grandpa and me are all wearing the same thing. Kids, kids will mimic our behavior. Well, if we are intentional about discipleship, that can be a really good thing. People can watch us, hang out with us. Sure, they're tripping and falling and they're learning to walk and they're learning to talk and they're eating on their own a little bit more. But in a lot of ways, they're still just around us in that parent role in their life, watching, observing, learning, mimicking. Sometimes it's cute. Sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes the questions don't stop and it's like, oh my goodness, when will the word why stop coming out of your mouth? Have you ever had a conversation like that with a small kid where it's like, you answer the question, and then they give you a why is that, and then why is that, and then you get to the end, you're like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you anymore. I don't know. Just because. All right, lots of questions, <laughs> lots of asking, lots of mimicking, but that's good. That's healthy. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, and he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved kids. Hey, you shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that you're still immature, and you're a kid, and you're growing in your spiritual walk. I love you. And so what I want to encourage you is this, verse 15. For though you have had countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then look at what he says. I urge you then, be imitators of me. He's not saying I got it all together and I'm perfect. He's saying I'm like a dad in your life. Do what you would do with your own dad. Mimic, imitate, learn, hang around with, watch. Dad swings the hammer, pick up your little hammer and and work on it. Do that thing that kids do. Mimic a spiritual father or mother in your life the same way that we mimic and watch people that are older than us as we're growing as kids. And so that's what he points to. So learning to eat, learning to walk, learning to talk. Our role as a parent in this phase is to do a couple of things, okay? Number one, we still continue the things we did for the infant. There's lots of love, there's lots of patience, there's a lot of gentleness, but we're giving a little bit more room for the child to explore. We're giving them room to try some things. And we know it's going to be messy. It's going to be imperfect, right? When a kid puts on his dad's suit, we don't think, oh, look, there's dad. There's no confusion of the fact that they're still a child. But it's important for them to put on dad's suit, right? That's important. That matters. And so we give room for the child to start coming into their own, and and we answer questions. We let them eat on their own a little bit but we're helping to make sure that what they're eating is healthy. And so in a spiritual sense, we give them some room to grow. We give them some room to try some things. We let them participate in cleaning up their own messes, but we give them room to walk and to talk and to start eating on their own. Does this make sense? Um, okay, so there's, there's some things to keep in mind. And then one more thing that's really important, very similar to an infant, is what the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Can you all say constant practice? To distinguish good from evil. And what he's saying here is simply this. Listen, there are, there are moments where you get to a place where you're with a kid where you're just like, have you not got this figured out yet? I mean, there's times where I get exasperated with my, my 11-year-old or my 13-year-old, and it's like, really? Like, this is kind of a five-year-old behavior going on here. But I can just get mad and frustrated with them and just leave it at that. Or I can say, okay, you know what you need? You need consistent teaching. That's what Paul's talking about. You still need to just be consistently told those same things. And then you need to be encouraged to practice. And and practice is about repetition. It's about doing it over and over and over again. And so one of the most important things when you are helping a spiritual child to grow is to not get frustrated and lose patience with them and demand more out of them than they can handle. Instead, it's almost like a carrot that's hanging out there. Hey, you can do this. Hey, you're still, you're still here, and sometimes you're eating milk like you're a baby, but you know what? You can try some solid food now. You help push them a little bit. And then when they mess up along the way, you know what? It's okay. Let's do it again. Let's get back up. And so it requires patience with them and encouraging them along the way in their walk with the Lord. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, now we're going to move into the next phase, and that is the young adult phase. Um, back into a passage that we were in already, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now looking at verses 11 and 12, Paul continues that passage and he says, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you 
and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, now you hear the tone of what's happening here? He's putting more onus on them now. Look at that. We exhorted you. We encouraged you. We charged you to walk in the manner worthy. God calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, there's a transfer starting to take place here in the maturity of this believer. They're going from a place of their, what their parents provide and moving more and more into a place of, of what they do as an individual. This is one of the most crucial places in life practically with parents and teenagers moving into adulthood, but it's just as important spiritually, and it's difficult it's awkward, it's hard to let somebody step into a place where they're taking more ownership of their own life because guess what's going to happen? They're going to fail. They're going to blow it. They're going to make mistakes along the way. They're also, and this is an important distinction, they're also going to do things differently than you did them and that's not necessarily wrong. On a very practical level... Um, I did youth ministry at Grace Chapel back in Franklin for years. And over the last few years before we started to prepare to move here, I, I knew a season of change was coming in my own life and I was going to be stepping out of that role. And so there were a couple of guys I'd been spending a lot of time with over the years. And, and one guy in particular, this, this friend of mine, David, was going to be taking over my role as the, the high school youth leader. And one of the hardest things in the world was to let go of something that I had done for years and to let this new guy, who I loved and believed in, step into that role. And I got to tell you, it was hard for both of us because, number one, he's trying to step into a role that I'd been filling, and you know what? His job wasn't to become the next Jake. His job was to become David and be who God was calling him to be in that role. And the hardest thing for me was to let go and recognize not only might he mess up some stuff, but also he might do stuff differently than I did. And that might hurt my feelings like, well, it wasn't broken. It was working really great this way. Now you want to change it and do it this way? Like, I was surprised how hard it was actually watching him do some things different. It's hard to let go of that. But this is an important place in the life of every believer when they begin to step into more adulthood and take on more ownership. And, and this, is, this is the thing we need to remember. And honestly, guys, this will help us as parents in, in general, and it will also help us as spiritual parents. Our job as a parent is to take our kid's hand and help place that hand into the hand of the Father and let him lead and guide. That's our role as parents. We are teaching our kids, as moms and dads, we are teaching our children how to walk with God the rest of their life and be led by him. Well, spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. If we have people that we are discipling and helping to follow Jesus, I don't want to train them to be a follower of Jake the rest of their life. I don't need a bunch of adult spiritual children following me around for the next 20 or 30 years. That's not healthy for anybody. They need to step into who God's made them to be. And so part of my role is to learn eventually how to get out of the way more and more and let them step into what God has for them. And so that involves giving them freedom to fail, but to still be there to, what did Paul say? Encourage. He said, we encourage, we exhort. Exhorting is like pushing them on ahead. Hey, you can do it. And when they blow it, you encourage them. It's going to be okay. But you give them room to grow and to fail. You charge them. You walk with God. 
You listen to him. You know him personally. He's calling you into his kingdom and glory. See, you begin to give terminology of like, man, what's God calling you to do? Who's he calling you to be? You listen to his voice and step into what he has for you. And guess what? As a young adult, you're eventually going to become a parent. See, what is God's mission for your life? What's it going to look like for you to follow him, to be changed by him? And man, really specifically, what's it going to look like in your life to be on mission with him? Young adults need room for mission, big time. You have some of these earlier phases, we're just trying to get spiritual kids to just learn how to follow Jesus and recognize his voice. Maybe as they move into childhood, they're learning a little bit more how to be changed by him and to grow. But definitely, we start moving into young adulthood, they need a mission, they need a job. When, when we begin to look at people in our life that we've poured into, um, one of the most healthy things for them is to help them find a place where they can start serving and leading and doing what God's called them to do. And helping them identify that and step into that is so healthy for them and for the whole church. So that's that young adult phase, room to grow, releasing them to be who God's called them to be, but not abandoning them. We're there, we're encouraging, we're exhorting, but we're, we're releasing them to really follow Jesus themselves. And then finally, spiritual parent. The biggest difference between young adult and parent, at least in terms of making that transition, is that a parent has what? Kids. That's it. Now, you may not be a good parent. <laughs> you may not be ready to be a parent. But listen, if you have kids, you are a parent. That's what it takes. And so um, to move into this role of being a parent, like there's, there's all kinds of things we can learn. We can almost do a whole other sermon on being spiritual parents. A lot of it is applying some of the things we've just learned about how to impact young spiritual um, infants and children and young adults. But as a parent, I need to recognize something. I'm never going to feel ready or qualified to be a parent. Did anybody in here just feel like I'm so ready to crush this when you got pregnant and had a kid for the first time? Any parents in the room? No way. I was terrified. You know how I found out I was having kids? It's like one of the most embarrassing stories ever. I get married to my wife. We've been married like six, eight months, something like that. Um, some good friends of ours had gotten married a month after us. One of our best friends, Wes and Darcy Collins, love those guys. And um, we ended up having kids a month apart from each other. So we got married a couple months apart from each other, had our first kids a month apart. Well, we've been married like six or eight months. We're over at their house. And you know what I'm doing? I'm playing video games. I'm like this kid sitting in the living room. I'm playing video games. Amy is like 19, 20 years old and is talking to her friend Darcy and is like, yeah, I'm a little bit late. Darcy's like, hey, I actually have a pregnancy test. You want to go take it? Okay, sure. Goes back into their master bathroom, takes the pregnancy test. She's pregnant. You know what she does? She just goes, hey, babe, come here. I want to tell you something. I'm like, okay, can I, can I finish this game? No, no, no. I need to tell you something. <sighs> okay, pause. I'm, I'm like almost beating him at Madden football here. This is really important. Pause the game. I go back into their master bedroom and my wife tells me we're pregnant. And I'm like, no, you're kidding. And then I'm like, you're telling me here? This is how you're telling me? I'm like the least qualified person ever, like totally unprepared. But the bottom line is we were parents and we were going to have a child. And so I guarantee you one of the first things we did is start talking to other people that were further along as parents. How in the world do we do this? Help us. And so I want to encourage you, even as you move into the role of being a spiritual parent, number one, don't stop and wait because you don't think you're ready. 
Way too many people are on the sidelines when God's saying you are qualified to make disciples. Go do it. Go do it. It'll be messy. You'll make mistakes. Guess what? It doesn't matter. You'd make them anyways if you waited 10 more years. We're never ready. We're never fully there. So start. And then secondly, he gives us guides. We can look at other parents that are further along and learn from them and get advice from them. We can learn from their mistakes. We can make our own. We can tell them to help us when we've blown it. This is what Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 3. He doesn't necessarily use parent terminology, but he's talking about a race well run, a life well lived. He's talking about a, a spiritual believer who is mature. And this is what he has to say. He's talking about himself as a veteran of the faith. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's made me a disciple. He's made me a follower of him. And now I need to step into my role of helping others become a follower of Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those who are mature think this way. The mature, the parents, consider yourself as not yet having arrived, but go for it. Go for it. Press on. Go forward. And if anything in you thinks otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. See, the things that you've learned as an infant, as a child, and as a young adult, hold on to those things. God will use those to speak to you as you move into your role as a parent. In fact, it's actually to your benefit if you still remember a little bit what it was like to be a child. You're going to have a little bit more grace for someone else who's a child. If you can still remember a little bit what it was like to be a young adult, you're going to have a little bit more grace for the young, spiritual young adults in your life that you're pouring into. This is what the process looks like. Dead needs to be made alive. It's that simple. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. From that point on, infant, child, young adult, parent, we're all invited on this journey. This is the process God is bringing us into, and it's the process he's asking you to be a part of in other people's lives. There's two things I want to make really clear, and then we're going to wrap this up this morning. The first is this. If you're approaching this list and, and you begin to think about it in terms of you being a parent, okay, so if you're considering people that are in your life that God's called you to disciple, and I hope you're already thinking about that as we go on this series. That's, that's the point here. We all have people in our lives we're influencing. Using this not as a filter to judge people or label people, it's, it actually will do harm if you use it for that. But you can use it as a filter to just ask questions in your mind of, God, where might this person be that's in my life right now? What, what kinds of things am I hearing them say? What do their behaviors look like? When we're talking about Jesus. What kind of conversations do we have? Am I hearing things that sound like an infant? Am I hearing things that sound like a young adult? And then once you can kind of start to figure out where that person may be, then it's like, okay, Lord, well, then what are the things they need at that phase in their life, and how can I help supply that? If this is a young adult in my life, how can I give them 
a place to fail and a place to try and a place to, to step into some adult-type behaviors. But if this is an infant, maybe I shouldn't be giving them that right now. Maybe I should just be very loving and patient and grace, gracious and just keep repeating the hope and truth of the gospel and just give of myself and, and love them well. You can use this as a filter to kind of go, okay, God, who are the people you've placed in my life and where might they be and how can I help them grow? All right? So here's, here's, here's the deal. The second piece, once you're using this as a filter to help people, these are the types of questions you ask about the phase they're in. The question is this, how do I help this person in this phase of life follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus? How do I do that? And next week, what we're going to tackle is what our part is in that role. This is crucial. If I overstep my bounds or I don't step into them the way that I should, if I don't realize the other person's role as the person being discipled, if I don't properly evaluate what God's role is in changing them, it's going to get messy. It's going to be messy anyways, but it's going to get really messy if we're operating outside of our role. And so next week, that's what we're going to look at. What is my role as the person pouring into somebody's life? What is their role as the, the disciple? And what is God's role in it? That's what we're going to step into. But those are the basic questions. How do I help this person follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and be on mission with him? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Son, capital T, capital S. You are the Son. You have shown us what it's like to live life in such a way with the Father that we trust him, we follow him, we let him change us, we go on mission with him. Jesus, thank you for paving the way for that. Thank you that you're the one that gives us access to the Father. You're the one that forgives us and gives us a fresh start to move into new life. Jesus, we thank you that you returned to the Father so the Holy Spirit could come, and now every single one of us can have God's presence in our life, leading us, changing us, growing us. Father, would you help us, first of all, to just be honest with ourselves and with you this morning about where we are? God, am I, am I acting like a baby in my relationship with you right now? And then what would it look like to grow and move into childhood with you? Or God, am I a young adult? Is it time for me to start taking on some more responsibilities and, and even failing along the way as I do that? Lord, where am I in my walk with you? And am I following you really and truly? Not following a list of rules, following you, Jesus, the living person. Am I letting myself get changed by you? Am I purposing to be on mission with you to see the world changed through this issue of discipleship? God, help us to see where we are and then, Lord, I pray we would have eyes to look around us and identify people you have put in our life that we can help. We might just be around a lot of people that are dead. They don't know you yet. And our job is just simply to be Jesus and show them how awesome you are and let them know you love us. God, maybe there's some spiritual infants or children or young adults in our life. Help us to see that and then to love them well and do our part to invite them to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.